Um, I have the pleasure now of introducing our pastor who is coming up today. He's a guest preacher for us this morning. Um, his name is Pastor Bob Hoy. Him and his wife Evelyn are here with us. Um, and I just want to share a few words um, about him. So God's mighty hand has been on Pastor Hoy as he has been a contributor to a number of ministries that have blessed Detroiters for decades. Pastor Hoy is one of the founders of Covenant Community Care, a faith-based charitable nonprofit community health center that myself and I'm sure a lot of you guys have gone to. Um, he joined with his wife, Evelyn, and a team of individuals who also established Charlotte Mason Community School, which provides a Christian liberal arts education that fosters the development of great minds and wide interests um, while nurturing each child's relationship to God and the world he created. And I know a number of the children in our church attend that school as well. <clears throat> he has blessed a number of congregations with pastoral wisdom and insight, with most of his tenure taking place at Messiah Church in southwest Detroit. It was actually while visiting Messiah when Pastor Leon and Rebecca experienced a worship service that was a forerunner for our confession, prayer, and praise service. Pastor Leon consider, considers Pastor Hoy one of his role models in the faith and is honored to have him join us with us to join us today. Pastor Leon has watched Pastor Hoy, dis Hoy displays, display patience in tense situations, trust God when solutions were few, and provide a safe place for the hurting. These are not secondhand stories, but character that Pastor Leon has seen firsthand. So we are encouraged by his love for God and thankful that he has joined us today. So would you join me in welcoming Pastor Hoy? <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and pray for him as he preaches the word. Um, but before we do that, sorry. <laughs> um, kids are dismissed for Sunday school on Zoom. There is a Zoom link in the chat. Um, if you're joining us on YouTube, so feel free to have the kids join there. All right. So join with me as we pray for Pastor Hoy. Lord, we pray, we praise you for the work that you've done through this man. Thank you for the, the faithful, humble leaders that have come before us at Mac, who have been in this city long before we have, and have paved the way for, for worship, Lord, for community development, um, for educating young minds. Lord, even for people who came before Pastor Hoy, we thank you for all the generations of faith that you have orchestrated up until now. But in particular, we, we praise you for, for Pastor Bob and his family. We ask for your grace upon him now as he preaches the word. May he bless and encourage us. May your spirit go out before him as he, as he utters these words from your word. We thank you and we pray these in your name. Amen kind of a long and windy introduction. Uh, the short form is chief of sinners. That's, uh, that's who I know myself to be. And uh, I am really happy to be here today. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the movie Chariots of Fire. And in it, uh, Eric Little, who's a runner, says, uh, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And when I'm with believers in the Word of God, I feel God's pleasure. So the adrenaline 
rush that goes with that is tremendous. There is a balm of Gilead. It, it, it's right here in his word. And uh, it's just so powerful. And it's such a privilege to be here. And I'm not worthy to bring it, but Jesus speaks the word and we're healed. Uh, I, uh, I had a uh, somewhat rare experience preparing this week, this teaching. Uh, it got way bigger than me, which happens sometimes, not all the time. It, I, I, I slipped through the closet in the Narnia and uh, uh, almost found myself in too deep. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing to see the wonder of God. And, um, and I also got convicted way more than I expect. I wanted to tell you what you need to hear. Oh, my God. I was, I was undone myself about what I needed to hear reflecting in the Word of God this week. I read each of the four Gospels this week in preparing uh, for this time in the Word with some specific questions. And, uh, and just before I came up, I had a faint vision of, uh, you know, the woman who breaks the perfume over Jesus. We're going to break the Word of God over Jesus this morning. And there is a balm in Gilead, and may each of us receive it by the grace of God. So uh, I did title today's teaching, uh, Do You Love Me? Uh, choosing Jesus Again Over Religion. And Pastor Leon invited me to teach from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, from the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, all those verses are important, but I was just really captivated by the one. I'm really only going to preach one verse, which is going to be about half the Bible. But um, Matthew 5.20, where Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so that's a powerful statement, and this is the fish. I felt like I hooked a fish uh, too big for me to bring in this week. So we're going to catch and release it, but get a glimpse of what the Spirit of Jesus may be saying to you and to me uh, from his word. So my, my first question asking myself this week and presenting to you is, how is Jesus' righteousness different than the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? What is it about the way Jesus lives out his knowing God and sharing faith that's so very different? from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I'm going to suggest something that may be helpful to you if it's not rejected, but um, that uh, consider the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as the church of Jesus' day. So when Jesus is talking about them, many, many of the things he's saying to them, 
and about them. It's about church. It's about people who are living out faith in the one true God. But somehow, they've, they've kind of got it jacked up in such a way that it isn't, it isn't reflecting the heart of Jesus. And, and so my sister question with that first question is, how is Jesus' righteousness different from my righteousness and my Bible study, the way I practice my faith, the way I put forward my relationship with Jesus? So a discovery this year, and, and you know, I have been... You know, Pastor Leon called me yesterday. He says, I'm trying to do an intro. How long have you been doing ministry? I'm like, I don't want to say 50 plus years. Makes me feel old. At, at Messiah, one day a woman said, my grandson has a question for you. He looked up at me and he said, are you Moses and I said, no, I was your age when we crossed the Red Sea. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm getting up there. Um, but uh, I'm still learning things in God's word every day, every week. And I'm wondering, how come I never saw that before? How come I never saw that? You will never get to the bottom of that lake. Deep calls on the deep. There is not a text in Scripture that we fully comprehend or understand. Haven't We've milked everything out of it. So check this out. The Greek word for righteousness is dikaiosene. Dikaiosene. And um, I was very surprised to find out that that's also the word for justice and equity. So think about it. The community never uses the word righteousness, but they're screaming for justice. And the church almost exclusively uses the word righteousness, and sometimes we wonder whether the justice movements in our culture have anything to do with Jesus. And... Um, you know, I think of just two. I see Ken's shirt, Black Lives Matter. I think of the Me Too movement. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, Bob, it wasn't Christians who started these things. And I remember my friend Al Cresta saying, with every moral issue in our culture, the Lord gives the church the right of first refusal. But if the church doesn't choose to pick up the banner, he'll, somebody will. From the rocks, he'll raise up. And never think a movement isn't from God because Christian people are not leading it. Christian people, people who love Jesus, are always invited to do the right thing. But oftentimes we may not choose to do it, or we may not, for whatever reason, be able to see it. So if we see people who don't share our faith doing awesome things in our community, we should say, shame on me and thank God for them. And we should just pitch in and, and not worry about sullying our perceived righteousness. But uh, so 
uh, it's interesting to me because right, the word righteousness kind of focuses like on our personal sin issues, which are important. But justice is broad. Equity is broad. And Jesus cares about righteousness, but he cares about justice in the community. Cares about equity in the community. Uh, and his righteousness is somehow reflected that way. So in my study through the four Gospels, I, there, there's no doubt more, but I decided there's four ways in which the teachings of the Pharisees is different than the teachings of Jesus. And the four ways are these. Number one, they tend to be petty. Number two, they have a lot of biased comparisons, thinking we're better than others, very judgmental. Number three, they're prone to envy and jealousy and anger. And number four, it reflects not really liking or caring about people who aren't like us. So see the word justice in front of you, crossed out, and replace it with just us. Just us. So that's the way uh, very devout people's understanding of Scripture and understanding of what God wants in our society can be different than what Jesus practiced. And it's amazing how insular we can become as Christians and uh, in our church communities and whatnot, where, where we might even be in the neighborhood, but it's still just us, mostly just us. And these things challenge me. I mean, I, I'm like, come on, Jesus, I'm so guilty. I'm only five minutes into the message. Come on now. But I want to talk about how uh, the teaching of the Pharisees is petty. So in Matthew uh, 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't judge, uh, lest you be judged. And he says, why do you have this gift that you can see the speck in your sister or brother's eye, and you can't see the log that's in your own eye? Uh, this is kind of a besetting sin for me. So if you think of me, pray for me, because I tend to be petty. I'll go, God... That's wrong. He goes, yeah, but you're being petty. Come on, Lord. Oh, come on, Lord. She's wrong. Yeah, but petty. Oh, yeah. I guess. And it's funny. When you see somebody else is wrong, you can't see your own. It's like bad breath. Everybody else knows you have it, but you. You know? And, and, and we focus on faults of others. Uh, in, in Matthew 12, verses 1 and 2, the Pharisees, I think they're criticizing the disciples, they're plucking grain on the Sabbath while they're walking with Jesus. And they're going, you're, you're breaking the law. You're, you're sinning. You know what law they perceive them to be breaking? There's a law against farming on the Sabbath, working on the Sabbath, harvesting your grain on the Sabbath. So these guys break off some stalks. Oh, oh. 
I know you're wrong. You, you're farming. It's the Sabbath. Same thing with Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. You know, it's like, is he going to work? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And it's so interesting. Jesus will say, so, so what's right to do on the Sabbath, good or evil? And they won't answer. And he says to the guy, stretch forth your hand. He doesn't move a muscle. Jesus doesn't move a muscle except his lips. And the guy is healed. And he goes, you're working on the Sabbath. And they go plot to kill Jesus. But uh, so when I'm being petty, uh, I have a righteousness like the scribes and Pharisees. He'll say to them in Matthew 23, uh, you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, which are kitchen spices, and you forget the weightier aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You know, there was a time in my 20s when I knew everything, and uh, um, but I did know something was wrong with me spiritually I, I didn't know what it was but I could feel I was off has anybody ever had that feeling that, that you feel you're off and you haven't quite figured it out yet but you know thank you and uh, so I took out a magnifying glass to see if I could find it and I couldn't find anything and uh, in the grace of God, the Holy Spirit finally said to me, you can't see an elephant through a magnifying glass. When there's something wrong with us, it's usually not something small. I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Something's wrong with me. It must be minute. You know, it must be microscopic. It's like, hey, you're not being fair to people. Are you being fair to your spouse? to your children, to your parents, to your boss at work, to your neighbor, to the brothers and sisters at the faith community. Are you being fair? And if you're being fair, are you being merciful? Are you being kind? Uh, are you being faithful? Faithful is a double entendre. Are you doing the things you agreed that you would do? And are you being full of faith about it? that, yeah, God's going to take care of me. This is going to work out well. I can trust him for that. So uh, a clue, if you feel something's wrong, don't pull out your magnifying glass. It doesn't work that way. Look at the big things first. Ask yourself. Ask your spouse if you're married. They'll probably tell you. And I, I'll give you an example. So... Uh, some years back, when our oldest son was a senior in high school, I came home from work, and Evelyn said to me, the principal sent Mark home for, from school day for fighting, but he wasn't fighting. And I said, uh, well, he wasn't sent home for being a good boy. And this probably never happens at your house, but we start yelling at each other, you know, for a while and then our son Mark came in and I tore in him too and you probably don't know what this is but 
for the next half hour or so it was kind of like cold war in our house uh, everybody stopped talking but nothing is fixed and after a while I thought I'd pick that scab open and I I said to Evelyn you know you could have been more supportive when I was talking to Mark <laughs> boom you know and then I remembered it was time for me to go to the jail to talk to the guys about Jesus. So I'm walking out to the car with Evelyn on the front porch saying, yeah, you go do that. You go talk to those guys about Jesus. And I'm driving to the jail, and I'm like, Lord, I am so jacked up. You know, please, maybe nobody would show tonight, but no, record attendance tonight at the jail. And these guys said, so, so what are we going to do tonight, Bob? I said, well, we're going to do something different. Uh, I got a problem, and I want to talk to you about it, and you guys, maybe you could help me understand what's going on. So I told them what I just told you. And one of the guys raised his hand and says, so, so Bob, did you... Did you give your son a chance to explain to you what it was that really went down there? No. Oh, okay, okay. Another one. Bob, you called the principal, right? So you could talk to her or him direct. You know, so you could find out exactly what went down today. Uh, no. Uh, all right, all right. Third guy in the back, he is Muslim. He says, Bob, was there something happened before today between you and your son, you know, that's already got your gun loaded? I said, you know, I think he was out past curfew the other night. We, we haven't resolved that, you know. It's okay. He said, we got to figure it out, man. You were wrong. <laughs> and the thing was, when they told me I was wrong, I knew I was wrong. When Evelyn told me I was wrong, I didn't know I was wrong. When my son told me I was wrong, I didn't know I was wrong. But when these guys told me, I, I somehow got it. And I said, okay, I, 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 need, I know what I need to do when I get home tonight. You guys want to get in the word tonight? And they said, oh, yeah. Six of these same guys gave their life to Jesus that night. And they were like, this is real. What you're talking about is real. If this is kind of relationship God is looking for, we, we, we want that. So um, in the whole, like, Les Miserables playbook, whatever, which I love, the whole thing is about uh, law and grace, law and mercy. So Javert believes God has called him to punish bad people. And Valjean believes God has called me to show mercy in the world. And uh, that's something for us to think about. So uh, the next thing I was thinking about was biased comparisons, thinking we're better than other people, being judgmental. Thinking that we know everything. Thinking that we're right all the time. Uh, I think of Jesus calling Levi the tax collector, and he's so glad to be, 
invited to follow Jesus. And he throws a party with all his tax collector buddies and whatnot. And the church is saying, I know this is wrong. This is just wrong. And, and they'll say to the disciples, how come your master hangs out with these kinds of people? That's another religious thing. They don't ask Jesus why he hangs out with these people. They ask his church members why Jesus hangs out with those people. And then when they don't like what the members do, they don't challenge the members. They say, Jesus, how come your disciples? Just little ways to divide, little ways to sow trouble and discord. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 11 talking about himself and John the Baptist. He says, John and I are like people where you played the tune and we didn't dance. That John comes neither eating or drinking. You go, that guy's crazy. He's got a demon or something. He goes, son of man comes eating and drinking. And he goes, that guy's a wine-bibber and a gluttonous man. And it was somehow in that teaching I realized, subconsciously if not consciously, everybody I meet, I'm measuring up. And, and even politically, if they're to the right of me, I believe they're too far to the right. And if they're to the left of me, I believe they're too far to the left. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, you're constantly doing this. Uh, but wisdom is justified by its children. And the truth is, Jesus goes farther left than any of us and farther right than any of us. And uh, he invites us to follow him and to learn to love people who are different than ourselves. Um, in, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. So what does yeast do to bread? It puffs it up, and it's full of holes. And uh, when we put yeast in our Bible study, we think we're, we go around praying, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other people are, especially I, I thank you that I'm not like her. You know, and Jesus says, you go away having talked to yourself. You weren't praying. You know, sometimes I think I'm praying, but I'm just really ragging about somebody. And I feel Jesus saying, well, you don't care if I defend them then, do you? I'm like, what? He goes, well, I can see who the prosecutor is. How about I see you in court? And uh, uh, Jesus defends people. We get that? But there is a, a view of scripture and righteousness and holiness that's just hard on folk. And always finding fault. You know, we sing no shame. Do we make our neighbors feel no shame? You know, do we make those around us feel no shame? Or, or do they feel this invisible wall? That uh, we're really concerned we're going to catch something bad from you. And uh, we're going to keep it just us is what we're going to do. Uh, Jesus tells in Matthew 22 the parable about the wedding banquet. And, and uh, upright people who get invites are busy. Too busy to come. Polite about it, but too busy to come. And at some point, the master says, you know what? Go out into the street. Bring the good and bad alike in here. 
and we're going to have this party. And uh, there's something about the spirit of Jesus that is inclusive. And it, holiness is important, but uh, love comes first. And uh, uh, people who are desperate make room for Jesus. Think about this. This is my strong belief. This is not going to happen, but if Jesus came again in a body and began his ministry in Detroit today, I believe that within a week, he'd be connecting with a lot of people in this city without asking one of our churches for permission. And then we would feel like the scribes and Pharisees. We would feel, what? And we would feel embarrassed, and, and, and we would feel envious, and we if we weren't sure it was Jesus, we'd be pretty sure it's a devil. And, you know, the Pharisees, it says in the gospel several times, they said, he's casting out devils by the prince of devils. They, they felt so threatened by the way Jesus just connected with people. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, it says the whole community came out. All oh, the sick and demon-possessed, and he made time for all of them. And it was like a couple days later where they're dropping a guy through the roof. Not, neither of those were church meetings. They were community meetings. And church people were there, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a church gathering. Do you follow what I'm saying? Jesus doesn't need us to connect with folks. He's going to connect with folks whether we do or not. But if, if we're not sharing our faith with people there's something about our righteousness that's got a little too much yeast in it and uh we well let the spirit do what it will with that uh when jesus is anointed at bethany and i was hoping this teaching would be like that. that's my brief thing could we just break that fragrant balm and feel it throughout the room when he did that, all the disciples were like, that's wrong. That, that could have been sold and given to the poor. You know that? And, and, and she caught nothing but heat from the disciples. And Jesus is like, hold up. She's done a beautiful thing. She's anointed me for my burial. Do you know when they went out with the spices on Easter Sunday morning, resurrection morning, to anoint the body? He gone. Too late. He needed to be anointed for his burial ahead of time because he wasn't staying. So she did a beautiful thing, but the disciples were sure it was wrong. And then the other scene in Luke 14 in the house of Simon the Pharisee with the woman who comes and washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Um, I keep wanting to drift down, but I don't know how that plays with zoom um uh, so simon says if this man were really a prophet he'd know what kind of woman this is and jesus looks at him and says simon do you see this woman so simon doesn't see the woman he sees what kind of woman this is so if we got too much yeast in our Jesus following, we don't see people. 
we just see what kind of people they are. Oh, they're one of those, and they're one of these, and they're one of them. And, you know, stereotyping and name-calling is a prelude to hating. Another discovery for me this year, uh, I've decided the Apostle Paul is the patron saint of haters. So, you know, he, he, according to the law, he was blameless, but he was dragging believers out of their homes. And if your faith and mine have us angry all the time, uh, resentful all the time, wanting to see people punished all the time, Apostle Paul is our patron saint. And, uh, and when he finally encounters Jesus, it just breaks him down. And he becomes a lover the rest of his life. He just, he let that go. And uh, for guys especially, anger is the easiest emotion to feel. It's also the laziest emotion to feel. And it won't help you in your relationship with your children or your spouse. It, the anger of a man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And uh, sometimes when we're slow to dial in our emotions, the, first, the lowest cookie on the shelf is anger. But it's a beautiful thing when being mad turns it into being sad and mourning and lamenting and becoming a truly compassionate person. Oh, I'm way in over my head. I got to work toward landing the plane. So in the Good Samaritan... Jesus makes the hero of a story a person from a different race, a person who's generally hated by most church people. In the story of the prodigal son, both brothers are lost. One's lost inside the house, the other's lost outside the house. And, um, and I'm just going to leave that one because there's just too much. In, in John 3, Nicodemus, Pharisee, Bible study teacher, is told by Jesus, you're not good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven without being born again. In the very next chapter, the wo woman at the well, he's told, you're not bad enough that I don't have a place for you at table in the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel. None of us are good enough, whether we're devout or not. And nobody's bad enough that that door isn't open for us. Uh, Pharisee and the tax collector praying, thanking God that he isn't like that person. The woman caught in adultery. It's funny. The, so the religious leaders are obsessing. This person was caught in the act of adultery. That's a capital crime. Uh, her, her life is at risk. I still haven't figured out how you catch one person in the act of adultery. But the other person isn't even going to get a misdemeanor ticket. And, and nobody can see that. But Jesus, knowing this woman's guilt, defends her until everybody else throws their stones and walks away. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go. Sin no more. That's the kind of righteousness that Jesus is inviting me into. And he tells them that tax collectors and sex workers are going to enter the kingdom of God ahead of you because they hear this message. And um, I don't have time to talk about 
uh, all the anger and envy and jealousy. But Jesus truly is the stone which the builders rejected. That the church rejects Jesus, who is the head of the corner. And it happened in Jesus' day. It can happen now. Be very careful how we see Jesus to be. We, we need to follow Jesus into our community and, and be prejudiced in favor, in people's favor. So the last point I want to make is uh, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees, they don't really like or care about people that aren't like them. Uh, there's large crowds coming from Syria. Jesus makes faith. Part of faith is giving to the needy and not storing up treasure on earth. He, he, he commends the Roman soldiers' faith. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, the demoniac and the pigs. You know, the, the community got used to the demoniac. Yeah, he's a pain in the neck, but we're okay. But when Jesus delivers that demoniac and throws all those demons into the cars in the church parking lot and they have a demolition derby, they're like, oh, no, oh, no, we're not doing this. Leave our neighborhood. So there's many things in your life and mine that Jesus doesn't care about very much. But what he does care about is people who are tied up in torment. And he desires to free them. So uh, I'm going to stop. Justice for the widow, calling Zacchaeus to be with him. And uh, so my closing thought for myself, for you, for you as well. I think about Peter, who had denied Jesus. And now it's the end of the Gospel of John. And, uh, and they have the catch of fish again. And Peter, Jesus is making Peter breakfast. And Peter realized he's failed in living out leadership in, among the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus just wants to know one thing. Do you love me? All right, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? And... Uh, and I hear Jesus saying that to me, too. So this is the word I've been wrestling with this week. I, I deliver it very incompletely. But uh, the nature of Jesus is large. And my faith, my righteousness needs to be more like that and less like uh, the religion I reduce it to. That's what I got to share today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help each of us to take what we need from this teaching and may the wind blow away the chaff. Uh, thank you for the privilege of sharing thoughts from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.